We are in Numbers, and we're working our way through the, uh, the book of Numbers. We're working our way through the Pentateuch, these first five books of the Bible. And here in this section of Numbers, we are dealing with this, this pagan prophet, Balaam, and he has been commissioned by Balak, king of Moab, an enemy of the Israelites, to curse the Israelites. And Balaam tells him, look, I, I, I can't curse whom God won't let me curse. God's kind of an obstacle here for me being able to do this for you. And Balak uh, says, no, I, I really need you to do this. And so Balaam has gone with him. And we're in Numbers 23, and we're going to see, just like last week we saw Balaam have three encounters with God. This week we're going to see Balaam give three blessings and these things that he says uh, that Balak wants him to, to turn into cursing. They're actually blessings, and Balak, the king of Moab, will take him to three different spots and say, well, can you, the people you see from this vantage point, can you curse them? It won't happen. And then another vantage point, can you curse them? And it won't happen. And then a third time, and again, it, it doesn't happen. Now, as you listen to what Balaam is going to be, be saying here, we see some beautiful truths about a coming king and about the salvation that God offers. And so hopefully this is an encouraging here as we look at these, these words spoken by this pagan prophet uh, some 1,400 years before Jesus. And we're going to kind of look at each of these blessings that he gives and some other things as well this morning, but, but mainly these blessings. And so let me just read some of that for you this morning. You may stand, if you're able to, in honor of God, as we read his word together. And we'll start in Numbers 23, uh, verse 7. This is Balaam's first blessing. It says, Balaam took up his discourse and said, From Aram, Balak has brought me, the king of Moab, from the eastern mountains. Come, curse Jacob for me. Come, denounce Israel. How can I curse whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? For from the tops of the crags I, I see him, from the hills I behold him, behold a people dwelling alone, and not counting itself among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob, or number the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the upright, and let my end be like his. And Balak said to Balaam, What have you done to me? I, I took you to curse my enemies, and behold, you have done nothing but bless them. And he answered and said, Must I not take care to speak what the Lord puts in my mouth? So Balaam takes him to a second spot, and we see what Balaam says in verse 18 of Numbers 23 next. And Balaam took up his discourse and said, Rise, Balak, and hear. Give ear to me, O son of Zippor. God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? Behold, I received a command to bless. He is blessed, and I cannot revoke it. He has not beheld misfortune in Jacob, nor has he seen trouble in Israel. The Lord their God is with them, and the shout of a king is among them. God brings them out of Egypt and is for them like the horns of the wild ox. For there is no enchantment against Jacob, no divination against Israel. Now it shall be said of Jacob and Israel, what has God wrought? Behold, a people 
as a lioness. It rises up, and as a lion, it lifts itself. It does not lie down until it has devoured the prey and drunk the blood of the slain. And we come into chapter 24, and we find the third oracle that he gives, and says Balaam sees that it pleases the Lord to bless Israel, and so there's, there's this difference this time. Instead of offering these pagan sacrifices, this time he lifts up his eyes. He sees Israel camping tribe by tribe, and the Spirit of God comes upon him. Verse 3 says this, The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is open, the oracle of him who hears the words of God, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your encampments, O Israel, like palm groves that stretch afar, like gardens beside a river, like aloes that the Lord has planted, like cedar trees beside the waters. Water shall flow from his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters. His king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. God brings him out of Egypt and is for him like the horns of the wild ox. He shall eat up the nations, his adversaries, and shall break their bones in pieces and pierce them through with his arrows. He crouched, he lay down like a lion, and like a lioness, who will rouse him? Blessed are you who bless, blessed are those who bless you, and cursed are those who curse you. Then we see Balaam continue. He says in verse 15, the oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is open, the oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. Edom shall be dispossessed. Seir also his enemies shall be dispossessed. Israel is doing valiantly. And one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of cities. You may be seated May God encourage us through his word this morning. And Heavenly Father, indeed, we ask your encouragement on us this morning, your blessing, your kindness, your grace, through your son Jesus. And it's his, in his name we pray. Amen. The world is a scary place, and all of us fear something. We fear different things, but all of us, I'm sure, would say, if we were honest, we're we fear something. I asked my kids this week what, what they fear. I got several answers. Uh, scorpions, hurricanes, tornadoes, clowns, um, men wearing camouflage pants, a black tank top, and a bandana. Um, seems very specific to me, uh, but gave me a Halloween costume idea. And... Um, and then one kid said uh, they fear being used in sermon illustrations, uh, which is why I'm saying this in second service and not for, no, I'm just kidding. No, we all fear different things. And you know, I mentioned last week my wife's very rational fear of uh, baboons. Um, baboons can be very dangerous. And I mentioned uh, my rousing words of encouragement to her when we saw some baboons. I told her, of course, as as you may remember, that she doesn't need to worry. Uh, 
She's safe with me. I will protect her. And neither one of us found that very convincing, right? Because, as we mentioned, uh, fears, fears are not unreasonable things to have because bad things happen all the time and we are powerless to prevent many of them. I can't save my kids from scorpions, from tornadoes, hurricanes, some clowns, uh, maybe certain people in camouflage pants. You know, my, my ability to protect my children is limited. And we're here in the book of Numbers, and we're encountering a people who are encamped on the plains of Moab. We've entered the final stage of the book of Numbers, and this is the last place the people of Israel are going to be before they're taken over across the Jordan River into the Promised Land. And the people in the book of Numbers are people in the wilderness. They have left the bondage of slavery in Egypt, and yet they have not yet entered into the promised land. There are people in between places. And you and I, the New Testament tells us, are like the people in the book of Numbers. We're people who have been delivered from the the bondage of sin and slavery to sin, and yet God's kingdom has not yet been fully realized. We haven't fully experienced what God has promised us in his rest, and so we are a people in between. And the question for the people in the book of Numbers is, will we be able to experience the blessing that God has promised us? Even if God is good, and even if God's intentions toward us are kind, how can we be assured that we won't mess it up? And the same question is for us. Yes, God is good and he's kind and his intentions toward us are good, but how can we, knowing our weaknesses, our propensity to fail, how can we be confident that we won't somehow mess this whole thing up? What's our confidence based in? What's our confidence based upon? And so, This morning we're here in the book of Numbers, and as we mentioned last week together, kind of the the main thing that I want us to grasp together is that the reality that God's kingdom is established through Christ Christ the King comforts me and should comfort you. The reality that God's kingdom is established through the power of Christ the King and not through my own power should comfort me and that should comfort you as well. Last week we looked first of all at this idea. The first idea that we looked at was that um, God sovereignly proclaims salvation through flawed messengers. That's kind of the, the first truth that we looked at last time, that God sovereignly proclaims salvation through flawed messengers. And we looked at Balaam and we, we saw the, uh, the flawed messenger there in Balaam and, and how God worked through him. And this week, we're going to see this, that God sovereignly proclaims salvation through a glorious king. That God sovereignly, the second thing here, God sovereignly uh, proclaims salvation through a glorious king. God's salvation through his king is going to uh, bring about his kingdom, not our might, but the work of his son, Jesus. And we're going to spend most of our time here this morning. 
And we're going to look at this, this section of Scripture. We're going to see these three blessings that Balaam gives, and they're going to help us understand how God is bringing about his salvation through this, this king. So here's the first blessing, and here's what we see in the first blessing. As we look at the first blessing, we see this. We see that God will not break the promises of the Abrahamic covenant. Look at the text with me, if you will. And we come to chapter 23, and Balak and Balaam engage in this this practice of offering sacrifices, and this, this isn't offering sacrifices the way that Yahweh God has called people to offer sacrifices. This is a, a, a type of divination that pagan prophets would practice. And so Balak and Balaam offer these, these sacrifices, and Balak is told to stand next to the sacrifices so that the, the, the uh, spiritual world and, and kind of in their mind the spiritual world would look at him standing next to these sacrifices and the other princes standing next to the sacrifices and would find them somehow acceptable and Balaam would deliver the message from the divine world and, and God graciously does deliver this message but he delivers a message not in line with what Balak would like and here's, here's what he says through Balaam in his first blessing what Balaam says to bless the people of Israel. And there's a couple things that I want you to notice. It begins in verse 7. And the first thing that I want you to notice here is he's saying, here's what Balak wants me to do. Verse 7. He says, um, Aram, from Aram, Balak has brought me, the king of Moab, from the eastern mountains. Come, curse Jacob for me, and come, denounce Israel. And then the next thing we notice in this blessing, he says, look, um, I, I, can't bless, I can't curse those whom God hasn't cursed. Here's why I can't do what Balak wants me to do. God has presented an obstacle here for me, and so I, I can't do that. In fact, imagine how encouraging it is to the people of Israel when they, they hear what God has said to them through Balaam. The people are encamped in the plains of Moab. They're preparing to go into the promised land. Now, what's happened in their history some 600 years ago, so here they are, they're encamped in the plains of Moab. It's some 600 years ago that God speaks to Abram in Genesis 12. And the first recorded words we have of God speaking to, to Abram are what? God appears to Abram and he, he tells Abram, go from your country and from your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So some 600 years ago, he says, you're going to go to this land and the land that the people are getting ready to go into is that land that God had told Abram about. Verse 2 of what God said to Abraham, and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, now here's, here's the amazing thing. The people on the plains of Moab read or hear about what God told Abraham. It's there in the plains of Moab, we think, that, that 
Moses kind of compiled all of the Pentateuch, all these first five books of the Bible, or at least most of them. And he, he compiles all this together, and he begins to tell the people their, their entire history as they get ready to go into the promised land. So as the people are on the plains of Moab, they're going to hear what God says to Abraham in Genesis 12. They're going to hear about the land that he's prepared for them. They're going to hear about the blessing. But what are they also going to hear about? They're going to hear about the failures of Abraham's descendants. And they're going to be reminded of their own failures. They're going to be reminded of how God provided for them and they disobeyed. And God provided for them and they disobeyed. They're going to hear about that. And so there would be this, this sense of as they hear the story, they'd be, okay, yeah, God promised this thing 600 years ago, but Surely that thing's off by now, right? I mean, surely, based upon the rest of the story, that promise no longer stands. And what they are assured of as they hear the words that Balaam speaks, as they hear about them, there's this amazing encouragement. No, our failure has not meant that God is going to break his promises. Here's, Balaam says, here's why I can't do what you want me to do. Because God hasn't cursed this people. And then in verses 9 and 10 of this first blessing, he says, here's, here's the future that I do see for them. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a future in which they continue to multiply, to be successful. You look at them and you can't even number a quarter of them. I want my end to be like their end, says Balaam. Now, I, I've said before that I think there's, there's something in our, our hearts that, that resonate with love stories, right? Now, maybe some of the guys are saying, no, excuse me, Daniel, not me. Now, I, I don't mean like just romantic comedies. I mean, I mean love stories. I mean, if you think about it, all the really good action movies, th- there's also love in those as well, in the sense of, of sacrificially laying down yourself for the, the benefit of other people. That's, that's the ultimate manifestation of, of love. And so, be it a romantic comedy for some of us, or, or an action movie for all of us, uh, excuse me, some of us, um, th- there's something in us that responds, or should respond in our hearts to, to examples of love. Hopefully, all of us can say, yeah, I see the beauty of, of love and sacrifice and faithfulness. Uh, Jane Austen, uh, famous author of, of many uh, romantic novels, I don't think any of them have been turned into action movies, or at least very few of them. Uh, but you know, in, in her stories, there's there's something beautiful that often happens. There's there are, there are two people who have somehow expressed either publicly or at least inside their hearts a, a desire to to love one another, and then something goes wrong, and the tension in the story is are are they going to maintain the faithfulness to that commitment to love that they made earlier? Is, is Darcy going to continue to love Elizabeth in Pride and Prejudice? Is Wentworth going to continue to love Anne in Persuasion? And, and th- there's something, I think, even for those of us who are very, very macho men like myself, I think there is, is something in us that, that, that is excited about the resolution in which faithfulness wins out, Right? in which a person continues to persevere in a a difficult situation, to continue to love in a difficult situation, 
I, I think the human heart rejoices in that. And the reason I think we're hardwired that way is to help us understand the character of God. God is a God who loves and then perseveres in that love. And the fact that he's in charge of establishing this kingdom should comfort us and it should motivate us. So often the models we have for love are, 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 are so fleeting. Our, our commitments to one another are so casual. The, the employment culture in which we live, it's, it's very easy to, to go to a job and to leave the job. And you and your employer, there, there's really no necessarily lasting commitment. Once one party no longer pleases the other, that's kind of just the way our, our culture has, has come to expect employment opportunities to to manifest themselves in our, in our social commitments, we're often so casual, in our commitments to one another, in our church body at times even, we can be casual in terms of what we think of as commitment, and even when it comes to our marriage covenant. But that's not how God has designed us to live. God has designed us to be people of deep commitment because he is a God of deep commitments, and as the people are encamped in the plains of Moab, what do they find out? They find out that God's God's promise still stands. He's still working this thing out. Now we come to the the second blessing, and what do we see in the second blessing? We we see a little bit more about this truth that God is sovereignly promising salvation. We see that not only is God not going to break his promises of the Abrahamic covenant, we see what he's going to do to fulfill them. We see that God is going to fulfill the promises of the Abrahamic covenant through a mighty king. We come to this, this second blessing, this second oracle that Balaam proclaims, and it begins in verse 18. And I want you to notice a couple of things about this blessing. First of all, we notice this, that God's character, in the second blessing, we notice that God's character and God's glory are tied, are, are inseparably connected to the salvation of his people. It's, it's an amazing truth. Let me say that again. As we look at this second blessing that Balaam gives here, we see that God's very character and his glory are tied or are connected to the salvation of his people. Look what Balaam says. He says in verse 19, God isn't a man that he should lie or son of man that he should change his mind. Look, he said he's going to do something. He's going to do it. He's spoken a word. He's going to fulfill it. I received a command to bless. He's blessed, and I, I can't revoke it. God's very character is on the line here because God has said, look, I'm going to do something. And so for God to not follow through and do what he said he's going to do affects his name and his glory and his character. Remember, this is a truth that Moses has, has returned to again and again as the people have, have sinned and he's asked for God's forgiveness. We see it in, for example, Exodus 32. Moses comes to God and he says, God, this is right after the people have sinned with the golden calves. He says, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? 
Why should the Egyptians say, with evil intent did he bring them out, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? He's saying, look, God, you know, if, if you judge your people, then your glory is going to be affected because you said you were going to do something. The Egyptians are going to see what you do and, and think that you're not a good God or to think that you're not a powerful God. Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember, listen to what else Moses says, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore, you swore by your own self, by your own name, by your own being, and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised, I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. Look, God Balaam begins to say, God is God, and and his character is tied to him fulfilling the promises that he made to his people. But then then something else, something else begins to develop in this second second blessing that Balaam says. And this is such an amazing thing. Think about this. This is 1,400 years before Jesus comes to be born as a baby. The next thing we notice in this blessing that he's given is that this salvation that God has promised is going to be, be brought by a mighty king. Look, look what he says in verse 21. He says he sees good things for Israel's future, and, and God is, is with them. It says that, that Yahweh, God, is, is, is not just on their side. It's, it's that God is, is dwelling among them, and now as he prophesies and, and is Letting Balak know what he sees, there's this picture of a king. There's a shout of a a king among them. And then we see that God brings about these victories, and these victories are being brought about by a king. Therefore, verse 23, no enchantment's going to work against Jacob. You can't chant some magic words and deal with Jacob. You can't practice divination against Israel and be successful. There's something that God is bringing about and there's this picture of this, this lion. This king is a mighty king. And God is going to fulfill the promises of the Abrahamic covenant through this king. It's an amazing truth. It's this picture of a, of a king and the horns of the wild ox. As you go through other places in Scripture, you see the, the, the connection between the Messiah and, and the, the, this horn of salvation. For example, in 1 Samuel 2.10, the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. There's this picture here of a mighty king. Errol Morris is a very famous director. And before Errol Morris was a director, he was a private eye. And he says that one of the, the tricks that his partner taught him was to, to go to the house of someone. And sometimes he and his partner would, would go to the house of someone that they weren't even necessarily investigating, just someone who, who seemed suspicious, not, not connected to a case that they were working on. And they would just knock on the door and you know, kind of knock there on the door and the person would answer the door and they would say, show them a, open the wallet, show them some badge and say, I guess we don't need to tell you why we're here. That's it. Those were, I guess we don't need to tell you why we're here. And the person would immediately crack. 
just begin confessing. Yeah, I, I don't know how you found me. Don't know, don't know how you knew to come here. To, but yeah, you're right. Da, 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 and just kind of spill things, right? Morris loved that story because he believes everybody is hiding something, right? Everybody is hiding something that they feel guilty about. And you just say the words, um, I guess we both know why we're here. Something comes to someone's mind, something that they feel guilty about, that they feel shame about, and you, you put the right pressure on them in the right way, in a very gentle way, they're going to blah, 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 blah. If someone were to knock on the door of your house, you were to open the door, they were to flash a badge and say, I guess we both know why we're here. Maybe you wouldn't begin to, to, to spill it. Maybe you wouldn't say, well, I don't know who ratted me out, but yeah, I've been yelling at my kids, uh, or I don't know who ratted me out. I, you know, some, even, if, even if you weren't fooled by it, something would come to mind, right? There'd be something in your mind like, oh, I, 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 did, surely they don't know about this. And whatever it is that comes to your mind, whatever it is that, that thing that you feel shame about, whatever it is that thing that you, why, I've, I've tried not to think about this, I've tried to suppress this so deep, I, I, I'm hoping that no one ever finds out this aspect of who I am or what I've done, no matter what that thing is, the bad news is that's one of the things that can keep you out of the kingdom of heaven. That's one of the things that can exclude you from being able to participate in God's kingdom. But the good news is whatever that thing is, it's one of the things that a mighty king has achieved victory over and dealt with completely. You see, left to our own devices, there's always going to be something when that knock on the door of, of our heart or our conscience comes, and there's always going to be something that, that the enemy or our own just, just minds can bring and say, boy, this is the thing that prevent me from being able to experience the blessing of relationship with God. And the good news about the gospel is, no, a mighty king, a victorious king has achieved victory over whatever that thing is and all the other things as well. Maybe some of the things you're not even aware of. Paul in Galatians 3 would connect us to the Abrahamic covenant, the, the blessings that God promised in Genesis 12. And Galatians 3, Paul says this in verse 7, Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the, the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. And then verse 13 of Galatians 3, Christ redeemed us from the cross of the law, of the, excuse me, from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised salvation through faith. Verse 26, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female for you're all one in Christ Jesus. If you are Christ's, 
then you are Abraham's offsprings, heirs according to the promise. That's a comforting truth. The reality that God is sovereign over our salvation is, is comforting because we think about God being able to, to promise a salvation that we could not deliver on our own through this glorious king. God fulfills the promise of the Abrahamic covenant. He fulfill, fulfills the promise through a mighty king. Now here's the third thing. God is going to save his people and allow them to experience his blessing when they believe and submit to his king. Look at the third blessing here. Look at the third blessing. Begins in chapter 23, verse 27. I'm sorry. Um, it begins in chapter, let's begin in chapter 24. Uh, let's begin in verse, begin in verse 3. So here, Balaam has, as we mentioned earlier, there's, there's a, a different way in which he uh, encounters this vision he begins to say some things, and I don't think these things reflect the heart of a heart that has placed its, its trust in Jesus, but there's an intellectual awareness of or uh, faith in God and his, his promised Messiah, but there's an, an intellectual awareness of, of God and his power and his relationship with Israel. He, he humbles himself. There's a humble approach that Balaam has toward God. And then we see in verse 5, what the future looks like under the reign of this king. He begins to talk about the successes of this king in verses 5 through 7 and, and how beautiful things will be. It is, in verse 7 it says, This king shall be higher than Agag. His kingdom shall be exalted. And, and then in verses uh, 8 and 9 we continue to see more about this king. God brings him out of Egypt. He's for him like the horns of the wild ox. He eats up the nations, his adversaries. He will break their bones in pieces and pierce them through with his arrows. And then it says, He crouched, he lay down like a lion, and like a lioness, who, who will rouse him? So he's, he's talking here about the king. And, and then what does he say about the king? He says, Blessed are those who bless you. And that's, that's singular. It's talking just about the king. And cursed are those who curse you. The person who responds in faith and submits to this king receives blessing. And the person who opposes the king finds himself at odds with God. You go on and there's a, another oracle that he gives, but it seems connected to this third blessing. And you, you come into verse 15 and, and he says, he kind of repeats some things he said earlier and then Again, these, these words of humility. Then in verse 17, he talks about this time off in the future. He says, I, I see him. He's talking about the king, but not now. I, I behold him, but not near. A star, and that's an imagery we see of Christ throughout the New Testament and throughout uh, parts of the Old Testament. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. Again, he's, again, he's talking about the king that shall crush the forehead of Moab. Now he's, now he's bringing in language from 
the, the book of Genesis as he talks about the curse. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. Edom shall be dispossessed. Seir also his enemies shall be dispossessed. Israel is doing valiantly. And one from Jacob shall exercise dominion and destroy the survivors of cities. Brothers and sisters, isn't this amazing things for this pagan prophet to be proclaiming about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? In Jesus, we find salvation. As Paul says to Timothy, there's one God, one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Psalm 2 that we read earlier, Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. What do we see here in his, his third blessing? We see here that, that God is, is, is preserving salvation. Excuse me. Um, let me go, back, go back one more slide here. Thanks. We see that, that God is, is saving his people. He's allowing them to experience his blessing when they believe and submit to his king. That, that's what we see in this, in this third blessing. That this is what God is promising and, and this is how he's bringing it about through, through this king. We see the Abrahamic covenant being fulfilled by God, him working it through, and we can participate in it through Jesus. Now, here's, here's the third thing for us to look at. Yeah, go ahead here. God sovereignly preserves salvation for an undeserving people. Again, as we think about things that should comfort us, here's, here's the last part. We'll, we'll talk more about this next week as well as, as we kind of go into another section of Numbers. But Here's what I want you to see. God is sovereignly preserving salvation for an undeserving people. If, if I'm afraid that I can somehow do something to mess up what God wants to do in my life, yes, I have culpability. Yes, I have responsibility before God to be obedient. But, but the thing that should comfort me is that God is sovereign in this process, and, and he doesn't just give salvation to those who deserve it, but the only people he gives salvation to are those who don't deserve it, who totally, if left to their own devices, would absolutely mess everything up. Now, again, I'm not going to go too far into this this morning, but look at the beginning of chapter 25. I'm not sure how much time passes here, but there's kind of this, I think Moses is trying to kind of bring these things together to see how God is being faithful, even as Israel is not being faithful. It says that, and we know later that Balaam is responsible for what happens next, but it says that while Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. These invited the people to the sacrifices of their gods, and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. And so Israel yoked himself to Baal of Peor, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And the Lord said to Moses, and he talks about the the coming punishment to them, and we see that the plague that hits the people. And then as, as you go through the rest of the chapters, you see that these people who are engaged in idolatry, God is preserving, and God is still preserving a generation that will be able to enter the land of his promise. 
God preserves his people through causing repentance and helping them in the process of sanctification. The people of Israel do not have the ability to save themselves. The people of Israel don't have the ability to experience the the comfort in and of themselves. They can't look at themselves and say, you know what, I I think we've really got this thing down. I think we're going to enter the promised land. No, God says there's there's a king who's going to be able to bring this about. The same is true for you and for me. Apart from a great king, we would not have the ability to enter into the land that God has promised. But what is What does Paul tell us as as he refers back to these events that take place in the book of Numbers? He says this. He says, We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. He's talking about Numbers 25. He says those things were examples for us that we might not desire evil as as they did. And and Paul would say that that our answer is in this Messiah, that is in Jesus. And so through this great king, salvation is being wrought in our life where he preserves us and he prepares us for eternity. And that is an incredibly comforting truth. There are a lot of things that I can fear in life. Baboons, clowns, scorpions, all those things are, are things that are, are outside of my control, right? But when it comes to my eternal destiny, as I think about my own failures, the beautiful truth of Scripture and the gospel message is, look, God is sovereign over this. Your salvation depends not upon your own work, but upon the provision of this mighty King, Jesus Christ, that he has provided, and all who place their faith and trust in him can be saved. And God, by his power, will preserve us and prepare us for eternity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for the provision of your son, Jesus. And we would ask, Father, that you would allow your mighty King, that you would that you would allow us to respond in faith to your mighty king and be changing us, conforming us to his image. We pray this knowing that as we are obedient to you and as you bring about salvation in our lives, it will be for our good, but you, Father, will be glorified through the fulfillment of your promises in our life. Your character is tied to our salvation. What a glorious truth for us to to revel in and comfort in. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.